I'd love for you to get your Bibles out today and we're going to read and continue on in our, our series of uh, Beyond the Grave, what life after resurrection looks like. And we're actually taking pieces from the story of uh, Jesus after he got up from the grave, after he came out of the tomb. Sometimes we like to just skip uh, from the cross to the resurrection to the day of Pentecost, and we kind of skip through some things. Uh, but i just like to spend some time talking about uh, some of those moments that Jesus had with his disciples, how their world was changed because of his resurrection, how our world is changed because of his resurrection. We have to understand that, that nothing can be the same again. Once, you, once you've given your life to Jesus, you died. That's what the scripture says. It says it over and over again. If you didn't catch it, if you just somehow overlooked it, it keeps saying this, you're dead. Yes. And that's not usually the best news, right? <laughs> that's not usually what the, the thing that makes us happiest is to know, oh yeah, I'm dead. But uh, you're dead and you've been raised back to life. So my goodness, what in the world would be the same? Coming back to life, why, why, why would anything be the same after you died and came back to life? If that can't change your life, what would? The thing is, you didn't come back to life as the version of yourself that you were before you died. You came back to life, recreated, restored, made in the likeness of God. The scripture says, now I realize we've, we've, we've always been made in his image. We bear this, you know, these hands, feet, eyes, mouth. And the scripture says that mankind was created in the image of God. But it says that our spirits, and in Colossians it says our spirits have been recreated in his likeness. So, so now on the inside we look like him. We don't, we don't just look like him uh, in some sort of external way. We don't just look like him uh, in practice. We look like him to the very core of who we are. And that changes everything. And I, I want to I just bring up um, something that we read before. When the women came to the tomb and they met an angel. And the angel started talking to them like it was just a normal thing to come to a cemetery and talk to angels. I try not to bring this up, but I like to go to cemeteries. That's why I don't bring it up. Um, <laughs> everybody's just awkward, like, okay, all right. Um, uh, there's a website called findagrave.com, and it's for people who are, you know, looking for family members. They're looking for information about where they were born or where they died, and they're looking for a picture of that headstone so that they can keep a record of it. And so sometimes I'll just walk through the cemeteries, and I've got an app on my phone that says somebody's looking for this photo, and I'll find the tombstone. I'll take a photo, and I'll send it to them, and so it's just my thing I'm doing for them, but it's nice and peaceful, and, and, and you're kind of just imagining the stories that people had, and some people think, well, don't demons hang out in the cemetery? Like, <laughs> demons are more concerned about real live people. <laughs> Believe me, walk in the mall, you'll feel the demons. <laughs> They're not wasting their time in cemeteries, come on. So, uh, 
you know, it's just one of those times. But I realize what I've been doing to my family because my family, it's like a treasure hunt trying to find these tombstones. It's, it's a nice little treasure hunt because we, we say, okay, we're looking for this name. Should be in this area. All right, these are the dates. Let's see if we can find them. Let's split up. And, and uh, I realized I was, I was really turning my son into a strange kid. When we were in Edmonton, we were at a coffee shop and it was across the street from one of the municipal cemeteries. And we're at this coffee shop and, and you know, Moses gets bored at coffee shops because there's nothing for him to drink. And so T and I are getting ours to go and he's looking across and, you know, the, the, the lady behind the counter is trying to be nice to this nice little boy. And he goes to us, he goes, can we go, can we go to the cemetery across the street? And I said, no, buddy, it's, it's fine. We're just going to have to go, come on. Can we please go to the cemetery? <laughs> And the lady behind the counter is looking at me like, you, this, this, fam, this is a weird family, you know? But it's downtown Edmonton, so, you know, there's a lot of weird families. <laughs> you don't expect to talk to angels in the cemetery. In fact, if any of you said, oh, yeah, I talk to angels in the cemetery all the time, then I'd be worried about you. We'd be praying for you at the front, right? Like... That's not what you expect. But the women came. They didn't come saying, let's go find the risen Savior. They came to anoint his body with burial spices. They haven't been allowed in for three days because the powers that be said, we, we know he said that he's going to rise on the third day. So you need to guard the tomb for three days, put a seal on it so that his disciples don't steal his body and say he rose from the dead. So the women were coming because this was supposed to be their first time that they actually had access to the grave. And they come and they find no soldiers and they don't find any seal. Instead, what they find is an empty tomb and an angel sitting on the tombstone talking to them like this is a normal conversation. And he says to them, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. This is Mark 16, verse 5. And they were amazed. And he said to them, don't be amazed. And you usually say back to him, I'm going to be amazed. You can't tell me not to be amazed. <laughs> Like, he doesn't even say, don't be afraid. He's like, don't be amazed at this. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Don't be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, look, here's the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just like he told you. I love that, hey? How many times the angel just takes subtle jabs at them, right? Just like he said, just like he told you, don't know why you're surprised. This is exactly what he's been talking about. Just like he said, everything's going according to plan. Why are you amazed? But you notice that phrase, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Well, isn't Peter a disciple? And he like, if anybody gets to be called a disciple, it's usually Peter. Peter's the first one. If you go down to the kids' room right now and you ask them, hey, name the disciples. Peter's the guy they're all going to name. First one. So why go tell his disciples and Peter? Well, we know the story. Even though the Bible says that when Jesus was arrested, everybody fled. It says, in fact, there's one scripture that says they all left him and fled. Now, John at least had the guts to show up at the cross. The women were at the cross. John was at the cross, but everybody else was gone. 
John was at the cross, but he's probably, from our best records, he's probably the disciple that ran out of the garden and they caught his robe while he was running and he just kept running out naked. So his record's not spotless. And he, they've all left Jesus. They've heard that he died. They're all living with the guilt of what that means, but nobody was carrying it besides Judas who hung himself. Nobody was carrying it as much as Peter. Because Peter had made some really bold statements. Jesus says, you're all going to leave me. He says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to me. I love you too much. I'd follow you anywhere. I would die for you. You know how many times does Peter say that to, to Jesus? Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, Lord, God forbid it. Never let it be. You, you're not going to have to die. Now he says, Peter, you're going to leave me. He goes, no, Lord, I would never do that. In fact, Peter goes so far as to say, this is the guts this kid had. These, this, is, this is how bold he was. He says, everybody else may leave you, but not me. Now, now that sounds like a great statement of love, doesn't it? To all of us, we go, well, boy, some, that guy really loves Jesus. But what it really is, is a great statement of self-righteousness. Everybody else will leave you, but not me. Somehow I'm better. Somehow I'm stronger. Somehow I'll stick with you. Everybody else, they're all wimps. They're all cowards, but not me. I, I'll stay with you forever. And Jesus says, no, even you, Peter. In fact, I, I'd love for you to read that with me. In the book of Luke, as they, as Jesus talks to Peter about this moment, and Peter argues with him in Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus doesn't call him Peter in this moment, he calls him Simon, his, his birth name. And maybe that's because this is a tender moment and he wants to be tender with them. Maybe it's because in this moment, Peter's not going to be like the rock. He'll be more like the reed of Shimon. But I think Jesus is being really gentle with them and he's being fatherly with them. And he says this, Simon, Simon, look, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Why would you sift wheat? You sift it to divide what the chaff from the actual stuff that you're looking for from the real, you know, the actual wheat, what you really want. You sift it, you, you get the chaff off, you get the shell, you get all that stuff off, but you, you have the real thing in your hands. Somehow Satan thinks, when I sift these people, when I run them through my fingers, there'll be nothing but chaff. There's nothing there. If, you're, if you leave them, Jesus, what's left? They've got nothing. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. You know, our English language doesn't really have a good plural for you, right? I've told you this before, but you know, it's one of the benefits of my, my relatives from the South. They've got y'all. Y'all's good, because you know, like, in those awkward times where you want to say, I really love you, and you mean I love you and your family, 
and you don't want it to be like this woman thinking you have the wrong idea about her, so you say, I love y'all, you know? And that means like, I love you guys, right? And then they don't get weird about it, but you know? <laughs> so we say you guys, it's two words, but it works. Some people say use guys, and I don't understand that. I, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable with that. You can say it to me, and I'll still love you, but... Uh, <laughs> right? Other languages have plural for you. We don't really have one. So just be Southern with me for a second and, and, and understand that in the Greek, there's plural and there's singular here in this same conversation. When Jesus says Satan has, des- demanded, has demanded permission to sift you, it's plural. He's, he wants to sift you guys, y'all. He wants to, he's, he's, he's wanting to sift all of you, the disciples. Then Jesus says, but I prayed for you. And he, he speaks to Peter directly. You, that your faith wouldn't fail. Not that your strength wouldn't fail. Not that your loyalty wouldn't fail. Not that your willpower wouldn't fail. But that your faith wouldn't fail. Why is it important that his faith doesn't fail? Because faith is not about your strength. Faith is about God's strength. Faith is not about your ability to hang on. Faith is is about his ability to hang on to me. Not my ability to hang on to him. Because Jesus is saying, guys, your ability is about to fail you. In fact, in John 17, when Jesus prays, he says, guys, he he says to the Father, he says, Father, all those that you gave me, I've held them. In other words, the the only reason these disciples haven't left earlier is because I was keeping them. But I'm going to be taken away, and everything they have is going to be shaken. Now remember, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. So the only Holy Spirit they know is with Jesus, is walking with Jesus. That's why everything's going to change on the day of Pentecost. But they're shaken. He goes, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And you, you, singular, you, Peter, once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. This conversation's got everything. It's, it's got highs and lows. It's a really blunt conversation that even Peter's not ready to hear. You know, Jesus in his love didn't just try to butter Peter up. He told him the frank, honest, blunt truth. You're going to fail, Peter. How would you like it if your Savior, your Lord, your King looked you in the eyes and said, I want you to know something. You're going to fail and you're going to fail hard. That's not Jesus. Jesus would never say that to me. I'm sure Peter was saying, why would, Jesus, you're supposed to encourage me. But Jesus isn't saying that's the end. He says, I'm going to tell you something. I'm praying for you that your faith wouldn't fail. You may fail, but your faith won't fail. And then he says, when you've turned. I love that he doesn't say if you've turned. He says, when you've turned. So he's telling him the whole story. He's telling him why. Because in that moment, Peter's going to have to remember this. And he says, when you've turned back. Turn and strengthen your brothers. You're going to feel lower than all of them. Now, why would Peter feel lower than all of them? They all denied Jesus in one way or the other. Yeah, but Peter was the one who thought it's my responsibility to be the one guy who doesn't. And he's, he's, he's bold and brash enough. How many of us have gotten, us into tr- gotten ourselves into trouble by our, our opening our mouths and just saying, you know, look, you guys, you guys, all, you guys might all fail, but not me. The shame and the guilt that follows that kind of person. 
So now we've come all the way to the end of the story, all the way to Jesus' resurrection. And the Bible says that the angel says to them, go tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter, I'm alive again. Because something about me being alive, that's everything that Peter needs to know. When I died, Peter saw all of his dreams. He saw all of his, his purpose. He saw himself die with me. He figured, look, I, 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 was, I was in that, that uh, high priest's garden, his, his courtyard. I denied Jesus, and Jesus looked right at me while I did it. How could I ever look at him again? And it's my fault. Somehow it's my fault. It's our fault that he died alone on that cross. And then he says, go tell him I'm alive. Go tell Peter I'm alive. In fact, the scripture tells us in two places. It tells us that the, the, it doesn't tell us the story of what it looked like or how it happened. But it tells us that Jesus actually appeared to Peter privately at some point in his resurrection. He has a conversation with him. But there is a conversation that he does tell us about in John chapter 21. Can you imagine the weirdness of Jesus being alive, but he just keeps showing up whenever he feels like it? Like one time they're in a house and he shows up, just somehow walked through the wall and he's there. Another time they're walking down the road and he pretends he's someone else and, and, he, and he just walks with them for a while and they don't know it's Jesus until he eats with them. Like, and now he's going to show up. They've gone out fishing and he's on the shoreline making breakfast for them. He just pops up to make them some omelets, just pops, pops up to make breakfast for the boys. I, I would get upset. I'd be like, Jesus, can you just stick around? We don't know. You keep saying you're not going to be here forever. Can, can you stick around and just or give us a schedule when we can expect you? But he just shows up. He just shows up. What's interesting about this is that in John 21, the disciples know that Jesus is alive. They know it, but they're not telling a bunch of people about it. They just went back fishing. Why are they fishing? Why aren't they going village to village saying Jesus is alive? Why are they on the boats? Because they still don't know what to do with their lives. They still don't think they have a purpose anymore. They think that died with Jesus. We let him down. We left. We wimped out. So what's the one thing we know how to do? Let's go back to doing what we did before we met Jesus. We were fishermen. Let's go back fishing. They just go back fishing. Peter's on the boat, and they come to the shore, and they see Jesus. It says, after these things, in verse 1, Jesus manifested himself. That means he, he let them see him to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm just going fishing. I got nothing else to do. They said, well, we'll come with you. They went out and got to the boat. And that night they caught nothing. I mean, for professional fishermen, this is what we see most often from them is them catching nothing. <laughs> I'm really not impressed with them. Like, Peter, you are the most famous fisherman, best known for catching nothing in the entirety of scripture. Maybe, Peter's read, maybe Peter reads the gospels later and he's like, guys, 
why do you keep putting in the Gospels the times I didn't catch anything? <laughs> you were with me. Remember that one time we caught that big one? You, met, you were there. Why didn't that make the cut? Every time you bring up my fishing, you talk about I didn't catch anything. It's a good thing I don't do that anymore because no one would hire me. <laughs> they went out, got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? (laughs) 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 This couldn't help but rub it in a little bit, right? (laughs) Hey, kids, catch anything? No, no, no surprise there. They answered him, no. (laughs) Remember, they don't know it's Jesus yet, right? So they just think it's just this annoying guy that can see they don't have any fish, and he's just rubbing it in. No, we don't have any fish. Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's the Lord. That's that thing that he does, where where he tells us to put the net five meters in a different place, and all of a sudden we catch all the fish in the world, right? That's the Lord's thing. That's him. What amazes me is that they were going to do that for a stranger, but let's move on. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, his out, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now, I don't know if Simon Peter got there first. I always like to imagine he threw himself in the sea and then they just passed him on the boat. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, classic Peter. See you on the other side, bud. I'll be the first one dragging the net full of fish. When they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said, hey, bring some of the fish that you've now, you have now caught. (laughs) And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they were finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the question is, what's these? Is he saying, do you love me more than these guys? No, that would be a terrible thing to ask. What's he motioning to? What's all around them? The fish, the boats, the nets, the boats, the equipment. Do you love me more than fishing? Well, it seems like a stupid question, but Jesus is setting them up for something. See, while Jesus walked with Peter, one of the first things that Jesus said to Peter after Peter agreed to join him is, now you're going to be a fisher of men. But Jesus is about to give him a new mission. He's going to move him from being a fisher to a shepherd. And in this moment, he says, do you love me more than this stuff? Peter says, well, yeah, I mean, of course I do. Lord, you know I love you. Like, you don't have to ask me. Think about it, guys. Think about it. The last time Peter was bragging about his love for Jesus, it didn't turn out so well. But now Peter, Jesus is having a conversation with him. 
And Peter's not so boastful about his love now. Now his love's coming from a different place. There's a humility in this love. And he says, Lord, you know I love you. You know, John is an interesting writer. John, you don't have to take much from this, but I do. John throws things in that I don't know why they're there. He throws little details in that I think he knows means something. For instance, when he says that Jesus had made this little charcoal fire, there's only one other time that John mentions a charcoal fire. It's not really important to know what kind of fire or that there was a fire, but just there was a charcoal fire. It's interesting because I think John puts little details in so that you make connections. Because the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned is in the courtyard when Peter denied Jesus three times over a charcoal fire. And now Jesus meets him at a charcoal fire. He says, do you love me? And he asks him three times, the same amount of times that Peter denied him. Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. He says, then, tend my lambs. Peter's not a shepherd. He's never been raised that way. That's not his background. But he says, tend my lambs. Take care of my people. He says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Like you, you, you know my heart better than I know my heart. I love you. And Jesus said, so tend my sheep. And this conversation set Peter up for the rest of his life. I want to tell you something about the cross. At the cross, my sin died with me and with Jesus. But in the resurrection, something came out of the grave. And it wasn't just a man without sin. It was a man with a purpose in life. It was a new reason to live. It was a new mission. It was a new identity. The old man died on the cross, but the new man came out of the grave. And there's something about the resurrection that, that doesn't just say you're not a sinful person anymore. There's more than just forgiveness. And I know that sounds crazy because forgiveness is so big and huge. Why would we just say just forgiveness? But there's more than forgiveness. Because in, this, in these conversations, Jesus doesn't just show Peter he's forgiven. He shows him that he's restored. And then he shows him he's recommissioned. Peter, how many times do you guys say, like, for us, sometimes forgiveness just means I'm not going to bear the punishment for my sin. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to be punished for the bad things I did. But, but there's something more than that. Because if that's all it is, then what are we living the rest of our life for? We say, God, I, I, I thank you that you saved me so I don't have to bear the punishment for my sins, but I don't deserve to ever be used by you again. I mean, I failed you. It, we're really forgiving. We're really forgiving of downright, outright sinners that come in the door and receive Jesus for the first time. We can forgive them in a heartbeat because they didn't know any better. You know what? It's tough for us. It's tough for us when someone did know better. It's tough for us when we were already part of the family and then we fell away. 
It's tough for us to look at, it's easy for us to look at the tax collectors and look at Zacchaeus and say, yeah, he was a sinful man, but Jesus changed him. But it's tough to forgive Peter who already was part of the group and then fell away. And to those people, maybe we believe that you can be forgiven. Maybe we believe that you can even be restored to fellowship. You can come back to church, but you're never, ever going to have a position again. You're never going to be used by God in the same way. How many of us hear that lie and it sounds familiar? Maybe it sounds familiar because we were the ones saying it about someone else, right? You can never be used the same way again. You blew your chance. I'm sure Peter carried that. Yeah, maybe, maybe Jesus can forgive me. Maybe he can bring me into his kingdom. But I, I blew my shot to be used. Jesus looks at him across that charcoal fire and he says, Peter, do you love me? And, and, and he's not, Jesus isn't asking because he doesn't know. In fact, he's asking because he does know. And he's, 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 you know, John said this. He says, we know that we are saved. We know that we're forgiven because we have love for the brethren. Right? The love that you have in you is proof of your salvation. It's proof that you've received the Spirit of God. That, that love that you didn't have before. That genuine love for brothers and sisters. That's a love that you couldn't make up. And that love proves you are the children of God. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, do you love me, Peter? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yes. So he's saying, he's, he's having him look inside, not, not just look inside because this isn't Peter's love that he has. This is the love of God working through Peter. He's saying, you do love me, don't you? Do you love me? Then this is, that love is what qualifies you to do what I'm about to tell you to do. This is how you're going to show your love for me. Take care of my kids. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. I'm about to give you the job that you thought you didn't deserve. I'm going to give you the mission that you thought you threw down the toilet. I'm about to give you a purpose. Not just, well, Jesus isn't mad at me anymore, but Jesus trusts me. Those are two different things. A lot of us, we believe that God's not mad at us, but we don't believe he trusts us with anything anymore. Maybe, maybe it was real easy for you when you got saved because, you know, you came from darkness to light. And in fact, that's part of your testimony. Like when you first came to Jesus and you tell everybody, I used to kill kittens. We all go, praise the Lord, you got saved. Right? Kitten killer. You need to write a book about your testimony. Maybe don't describe in graphic detail everything you did, but you know, I used to punch old ladies in the face. Wow, praise the Lord. Even a guy like that could be saved. <laughs> Invite him to the men's conference, the ladies' conference, the children's conference, every conference. That guy gets to tell his story. He was so bad, but he got saved. But have that guy go five years. He doesn't surround himself maybe with the best Counsel, he's so hyped up on all the attention he's getting that he keeps accepting invitations. He doesn't really let people speak into his life. He overextends himself. He's 
not really open to correction. He's just kind of saying, look at me, I got a story. And he outruns his own character. He's a baby Christian thrown into the lion's den and he hasn't really watched it. And he falls again and this time it looks bad for everybody. Every pastor that's ever invited him to his church now has to answer questions. Why didn't you see that? Why didn't you see that he was going to fall? Listen, guys, if we, if we were supposed to just not invite anybody that one day might fall, yeah. <laughs> that one day might mess up, we're going to have pretty empty stages. Do you think God only uses people that will never make a mistake again? Now, I pray we don't ever have anybody come up that's in the middle of that. I hope we have the eyes to see. Why didn't you see it in him? They're all embarrassed. They never want to phone him again. He calls, they don't answer. He emails, they ignore it. They all seem to be his best friend when he was telling the story of how bad he was before he came to Jesus. But now that he's fallen back into it, he's got no friends amongst the Christians. That's the saddest thing I've seen over and over again in ministry. I thank God that I haven't had to go through something like that. But I've certainly been on the other side where I had to decide what I was going to do about that guy. Was I going to take his call? Am I going to have coffee with him? What am I going to say? Am I going to tell him that someday God's going to use him again? Or am I going to tell him that he's blown his shot? It's done. Go get a job doing plumbing or something. Can't be used like that again. And take that and multiply it by a thousand because Peter somehow multiplies everything by a thousand. (laughs) And over and over again, you see God going out of his way to tell Peter, I'm alive, Peter. Mm -hmm. See, the fact that I'm alive changes your story. My resurrection changes your story. My resurrection changes your story. Your purpose didn't die. Your purpose looked like it died when I died, but it's been resurrected. Who you are didn't die. Who you are has been resurrected. The resurrection life of God changes our story, not just once, but over and over and over again. In fact, the Bible says, though our outer man is decaying, on the inside, we are being renewed day by day. Resurrection is every day of our life. Are you willing to let the things that God put in you be resurrected even when you blew it? Now, I'm all for restoration. I, I, if, if that guy, that I, the fictional character that I made up, I wouldn't throw him right back into the same thing he was doing before. I, I mean, that guy needs some time to heal up, get trained up, get some, get some help, figure out what went wrong, then, you know, but not with the guilt and the shame. Mm-hmm. Time off isn't punishment. Right. And I'm not qualified to take his gift out of him. Or the call that God put on his life. Only God does that. And he said the gifts and call of God with her without repentance. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be restored. It's one thing to be restored. But it's quite something else to be recommissioned. And I want you to know that because of the resurrection. God is able to resurrect things that you destroyed. Things that you killed. Sometimes we wish it was all everybody else's fault. Somebody else killed it. Sometimes you're the one that killed it. 
Sometimes you're the one that killed the thing that God was doing in your life. But God resurrects things. Just like he resurrects you. And I, and I want you to know that the encouragement of a brother that fell and came back is a powerful encouragement. Why didn't Jesus say to somebody, hey, everybody else is going to fall except for you. So you, I'm going to need you to stay strong so that you can encourage the rest of these yokels when they fall down. He doesn't say that. He says, Peter, you're going to fall. You're probably going to fall harder than all of them. <laughs> to nobody else does he go and have a personal conversation and describe how they're going to mess up. Yeah. Lord, am I only going to do that once? No. Twice then? Nope. Three times. Lord, is it before the pig snorts? Nope. Is it before the cow moves, Lord? Before the cow moves? Nope. It's before the rooster crows. Oh, the rooster. I knew it was the rooster. Dang. Stupid rooster. Why is the rooster important? He's saying it's going to happen in one night. It's all going to happen in one night. It's all going to happen before morning. It's going to be a tough night for you, Pete. But I've prayed for you. Someday when you return, you're going to turn around and strengthen your brothers. And the enemy comes. And here's what he says to you. You have no right to encourage anybody else because look how bad you messed up. Who are you to tell them they can do it? Who are you to tell them that God can still use them? Who are you to tell them to get out of that pit of depression? Who are you to tell them anything? Let somebody else who hasn't messed up tell them. But Jesus says to Peter, when you've returned, it's your job to find your brothers and encourage them. So I want you to know today, that the resurrection power of Jesus, that that testimony is a testimony that's going to turn a lot of people. We, we, we forget that all those people on the parade, on the triumphant entry, the Palm Sunday, those people, most of them were there because Lazarus got up from the grave. Lazarus did one amazing thing in his life. He died. <laughs> the Bible says nothing else. In fact, he's most famous for having sisters. Right? Before that, his claim to fame is, I got sisters. <laughs> then his claim to fame after that is, well, then he died. And then Jesus brought him up from the grave. Mm -hmm. Resurrection stories aren't about you, they're about him. Yeah. Right? Yes. The world needs resurrection stories. They need resurrection testimonies. They need testimonies of people who dreams, visions, everything, ministry, everything seem to be dead and you're the reason they're dead. And yet at the same time, you may be the reason they're dead, but Jesus is the reason they're alive again. His resurrection changes your story. So I want you to imagine that you're sitting across the fire from Jesus and he looks you in the face and he says, you still love me, don't you? Yeah, Lord, but you know, you still love me, right? Yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, you still love me, right? Yeah, okay. Then I'm commissioning you. Yeah. I'm giving you a purpose. The cross, on the cross, your mistake died. Your rebellion died. Mistake is a weird word for sin. It wasn't a mistake. We did it. Whatever it was, it died. But in the resurrection, a new me was born. Amen. And that's, that doesn't only happen once. 
It happens once for your salvation, yeah, but I need to be resurrected a lot. So I'm going to pray for you this morning, and I want you to stand with me.